This is a Therapy Geeks podcast. You're listening to a discussion between mental health professionals and friends in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope that this helps you find peace and understanding in this crazy world. Now here's today's podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Brandon from the Therapy Geeks, and this is the Therapy Geeks podcast. Today's podcast is our third episode in the Resilient series, and I'm pleased to be joined once again by my good friends, Brady Buckin and Steve Romano. Guys, thanks for joining me. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us here. Last time in our Resilient series, we talked about the strength that prevails, the comfort culture that didn't exactly develop resilience. Resilience is something bestowed upon us from the moment we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Prayer is is reaching into the heavens for what we need, and Christians are designed to live in and enjoy the benefits of two ecosystems. Brady, it seems that each time we meet, you always say that the chapters that you have read have really spoken to you in some really great ways. And so what are some of the things that you got from today's resilient readings? So every time we meet, I'm thinking, okay, these two chapters were the best two chapters I've read so far. But as we jumped into chapter five and six, I love the thought prayers reaching into heaven for what we need. I think an issue that arises that many people don't understand their ability to reach into heaven and others don't feel they have assurance they can receive what they need from heaven. I love that John transitions into talking about an assurance of abundance from our Father in heaven in chapter 5. He states when we are living in an hour like this one, any vulnerability to deprivation or desolation becomes a high vulnerability which leads us to the truly beautiful grace God wants us to provide. So good. good. I mean, for one, I mean, we kind of just kind of talked about it as we started the podcast as far as prayer is us being able to reach into heaven for what we need, not just what we want, but what we need. But you're absolutely right with this kind of concept of assurance of abundance that we will never be without when we have Christ. And I think that's one of those things that we might see that we have a lack of worldly goods and earthly pleasures, but that doesn't mean that we are without when it comes to God and especially godly things. And so I think it's definitely one of those things that John pulls that out of this reading when we talk about that assurance of abundance. I think one of the things that I was having a conversation with my son last night in the truck and we we're talking about some things that family are going through right now currently and he asked me an interesting question he said dad why don't they just believe what the word says and I said you know I said I don't know that it's necessarily that people don't always believe what the word says I think you've got a combination of two people when you get people that won't go to God for their needs and I think one of them is they don't believe that God will meet that need but the other one is they don't feel like they believe believe God will meet the need, but they don't believe God will meet the need for them. And they there's this unworthiness aspect that they have. But mm-hmm. the reality of, of it is none of us are worthy. Like that's why Jesus came. So you have to understand what the word says, and then you have to be able to apply it to what you're going through and the need that you have. And then you have to actually believe what you're reading. And I love what I think it was Pastor Trudy said a week or so ago, you can only believe to the ability of the knowledge that you have of the word. Like if you don't know, you can't believe it. Right. 
Right. Exactly. And I, and I think too, when I kind of think back, I feel like there's a lot of people that deal with shame and guilt. And a lot of that is what holds them back from truly connecting with God and seeing him as that assurance of abundance. Because when we have that shame that we just carry, because we know, and so does God, but we know what we've done. We know what we have thought. We know the true motives behind things. And oftentimes when we, we reflect, we don't reflect very well for ourselves. We we carry around that shame and guilt. And I think it does speak into that thought of like, I know God can do this, but there's almost a question of, but why would he do it for me? Right. Yeah. You know, Brady's comments, good. I, you know, I didn't have this in my notes, but I was just thinking, you know, the simple story of the gospel, you know, what's the gospel tell us? That we're forgiven. And if we really believe that God's forgiven us personally, then that really lifts that shame and that guilt. Right. You know, and we realize that the gospel is a, about a God who wants to come down from heaven and have a personal relationship with us, not us getting caught up in all these things we need to do to gain his approval because we can never do that. So, yeah, when we're talking about being free from the shame and the guilt to come to, we're not perfect, but we can continue to come back and, and, and be restored and be reconciled reconciled to God because of the gospel. Right. I think that's the that's what should humble us is just the fact that we are sinners who deserve nothing mm-hmm. but the punishment that will happen if we don't turn our lives to Christ. But it is Christ in Christ alone who bore our shame. He bore our guilt. He bore the sin of the world. And those of us that feel like we are filled with shame and guilt and that we don't have the the right to approach the king on his throne, that we are totally missing that message of the gospel. Well, and I think one of the challenges I know I faced is we believe God forgives us, but we have trouble forgiving ourselves. Yep. Like we yeah. know what we've caused. We know the carnage we left behind. And so that then leads into that guilt and shame. And I had a counselor once tell me this, and it was one of the most freeing things that I ever had a counselor tell me. And he said, you have to forgive yourself because if you don't forgive yourself and Jesus forgave you you're actually exalting yourself above Christ by holding unforgiveness against yourself and it was like and I hadn't even thought about that like Jesus wiped my slate clean and here I am still holding on to that slate like okay I have the ability and I'm I'm a judge of myself better than he is to hold on to this when he's let go of it and so that was very freeing for me to realize that you know if Jesus can let this go I need to I think that that's that, that in and of itself is so important. It's we holding on to our own shame and guilt. And that is what stops us from experiencing the blessings that God has for us. I think, you know, John goes into this whole assurance of abundance thing. And it was really the challenging thought for me in all of this was, you know, he stated that our assurance of abundance or our lack of it is imprinted on our souls and becomes a core conviction to some extent before we even learn to speak through interactions with our mothers. He states that resilience is bestowed upon us by being adored and by experiencing our deep hunger satisfied with overwhelming abundance. And he shared this story of a mother of a friend of his and it really got me to thinking about it because I'd never really thought about the mother side of it. You know, we talk about men having father issues and so men will do these things because their father was absent or their father did this or their father was abusive, but we never really addressed the mother side of it. And I, I love my mom. I had, a, I had a good mom, but my mom was very plugged into her life. Like she had a career she had she was going back to school to get her master's degree when we were little we'd gone through divorce my sister and I were practically raised by my 
great-grandparents, which were her parents. That's where we spent 90% of our time. And the one story that always sticks out in my mind that changed and altered the way I actually raised my children was the very first time that I took my ex-wife to meet my mother and my stepdad. And we'd been up there and spent the weekend. We weren't married yet, but we'd spent the weekend up there and I introduced them. I think this is when we actually told them that we were getting married. And as we were leaving, we got in the truck. And as we drove away, Tammy said, you didn't hug your mom or tell her that you love her. And I said, we don't do that in this family. We've never, I don't, we've never done that in this family. And my ex-wife was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, we don't tell each other we love each other. We don't hug each other. That's not. And my ex-wife actually changed that culture. She started it. And so when we would go visit, she would hug my mom and she would hug my stepdad. And so now we're 30 years later. And when I leave, I tell my mom that I love her. I actually hug my stepdad, which is hilarious because neither one of them still to this day know how to handle it. My mom will pat you on the back like she's trying to burp you while you're hugging her because she doesn't know exactly what to do. But I realized in that, in reading what John Eldridge was saying, that I didn't have that assurance of abundance. Like, did I know that my needs were going to be met? Yeah, to some extent. But I didn't have that all-encompassing like some mothers were, where they doted on you and they loved on you. And, and then I can look at things in my life and go, oh, well, that didn't really have to do with the dad issue. That may be linked back to this. So it was a very interesting chapter for me to go through. I mean, in this concept though, of the the mother desolation is what he kind of called yeah. it. Because you're right, he talks a lot in other books about the father wound is what he calls it. But yet when it comes to this mother desolation, he talks about attachment in the fact that our mothers are who we first attach to. When we are nursing, that we look into our mother's eyes. You know, we experience the nourishment from her. We experience her touch. All these things are forming a huge attachment. In counseling, we talk about attachment theory. We go through that. What were your attachment relationships like in your past? And we talk about the relationship or the attachment you had to your mother and the relationship or attachment you had with your father. And the strength of an attachment, a lot comes down to the feeling of safety and security in that relationship. And so thinking on a healthy mother mother-infant relationship, the safety and security that that child feels when they are in their mother's arms, they are nursing and they are being doted over. Yeah. And that being so huge. And I think that John gets into it very well in these chapters and just the fact that that attachment, and then a later he'll, he'll talk about how Dallas Willard kind of on his deathbed, you know, talked about the fact that that attachment, we get a true attachment through salvation and how that in and of itself is a new revelation when it comes to attachments. Yeah, you know, the whole idea of the mother love that God provides is really interesting. You know, I, the thought that, that God offers to mother us too. And so, you know, my thought is that whether we had that relationship with our mother or a father, regardless, Scripture tells us that God comes to heal our souls. You know, the Scripture tells us in Isaiah 49, 15, God will never forget us. It's like He's always there. He's always ready to, to make us whole, right? To fill in the gap of what we have missed with both parents for that matter. So God is always in the business of restoration, bringing us back to Him. What we may 
have missed because of the imperfectness of this world, perhaps with one or both parents, but especially the mother love. So again, in Psalms 2710, you know, I looked a little further at this. I was looking at the Enduring Word commentary. It says here, when my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And the notes in the commentary said, you know, David knew that the love and care of God could go beyond even the closest human bonds. David probably did not expect his parents to forsake him, yet even if they did, God would not. So God is always drawing us back to himself, right? Yeah. Seeing seeing God's unwavering love for us. It's beautiful. So. Right. And I feel like I'd be kind of remiss without acknowledging one of the biggest fans of this podcast, which is my mother. Um, and so my mom and dad listened to this. I got this message from her this morning. It was actually sent to our Therapy Geeks podcast email, and it says, great podcast. It must be really, really good if you can have two old codgers to listen to it twice and take notes. Nice. <laughs> so one of the biggest listeners of this podcast is my mom and my dad. Right. But I would say, though, that this mother desolation, that is one of those things that I can honestly say, and I am so grateful for that I feel like I've never felt just for the fact that I know from the moment that I was born to the moment that I will die or God raptures us, that that my mother will always, always love me. And I think, though, that when you have that assurance, it's amazing. But when you realize that whether or not you have that, it does matter on an earthly sense. And it does matter, you know, psychologically as well, spiritually as well. But that even if you don't have that, you have it in God. Yes. That he is the assurance of abundance and he is the one who makes that attachment whole. And I think that that is huge. If we can grasp onto that, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't replace a physical relationship. You know, I wish that my physical mother or father or this physical person was here to love me and give me a physical hug or have one-on-one quality time with me in person. And that it is so hard for them to grasp having a true relationship and attachment with the God of the universe. And I think that that's one of those things where if we're not seeing God for who he is, I think it goes back to what you said about Pastor Trudy and just the fact that if you're limit of your knowledge of God and God's word, it limits how you can attach to him. Well, and I love, you know, John brings up that God yearns to bring us this assurance of abundance. And he talks about Dallas Willard and he talks about how the only kind of love that helps the brain learn better character is attachment love. And he said that Dallas Willard actually speaks of salvation as a new attachment. It's the soul's loving bond to our loving father and that we can heal from the past as we experience this new mothering from our father God. And I love what he said. He said, the destiny of every human soul is union with God. And he points out and refers to how we're branches. And, you know, the Bible talks about God's divine, we're the branches. Branches have no source of resilience in and of themselves. They don't have any ability to do anything. If they're not attached to the vine, they wither and they die. We must draw our complete source of life and all other resources from Jesus. 
just as a branch needs to draw its resources from the root of the tree. Right. And I mean, just thinking though, the nourishment that a plant gets just from its roots. And if we are rooted in Christ, what resources we can get. Yeah. Good stuff. I, you know, I'm kind of moving to this part of five and six where we talk about the area of unconverted places in our soul such a good part of the reading, right? Because it right. it really talks about, you know, we talk about our conversion to Christ. We accept Christ. We're having this relationship with Christ. and But there's places in our soul that are unconverted. I think my favorite, one of my favorite phrases of the book so far is the phrase that says who we are, what we love, and how far we are willing to trust God are revealed when we're truly hard-pressed. Boy, how true this is. Our real fears become exposed. And of course, in the text, we're talking about uh, the author John is talking, is referring to Peter in Matthew 26, 69 through 74, where here Peter is a follower, but when he's hard pressed by the opposition, he denies Christ. I just thought that was really interesting. He said, you know, there are pockets of resistance in us that will prove to be our downfall if we don't bring them to Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think back about my divorce, my prison time, the things that I've gone through in my life, all stemmed from what he calls in chapter 6 unconverted areas like these were all unconverted areas in my life that led me down these paths and I was laughing Steve and I were on this motorcycle trip we just went through Colorado and did 2,000 miles on the bikes and we had a jeep that got into our lane and was coming at us head on and swerved back over at the last minute and we had our headphones on we were talking back and forth Steve said that was close and of course me being unconverted in a particular area I flipped the guy the bird as far as I could out so that the guy the Jeep made sure to see it. And I told Steve, I said, yeah, I'm probably going to leave that unconverted a little bit longer. I said, because if you're trying to kill me while I'm on my motorcycle, it's just one of those unconverted areas. But, uh, you know, we get to thinking about just the areas like that that are, you know, I mean, that wasn't very Christian of me. I mean, but you tried to kill us, you know, but at the same time, I laugh about it. But there are areas like that, be it our language, be it our eating habits, be it, the way we treat our spouse, our children. There's so many open areas here, you know, that are unconverted. And, you know, he brought this idea up. Does your heart agree that the goal of your life is to become the most converted person your friends and family know? Mm. And I thought, man, I, what would that even look like for somebody to be able to say that about you, that this guy's walking so close to Jesus that yeah. Jesus has taken up residence in every part of his life, nothing left out? Because I know I'm not anywhere close to that. I mean, I've got all these little areas that Jesus might have his foot in, but still going to flip somebody the bird when they try to kill me. Yeah, as I was thinking about these pockets of resistance, yeah, I know for me personally, you know, the, the plea is, God, please help me to surrender these unconverted places in my soul so that I can be made holy in every way, spirit, soul, and body on this side of heaven. Like you mentioned earlier, Brandon, you know, is love is unconditional, the story of the gospel, but it brings humility to us because he's wanting to continue to expose those unconverted places and bring those to the cross right? and surrender and die to those things. And that, again, is the beauty of the relationship. We're continually, he's just continually drawing us in, making us more like Christ. So we can continue that journey, right, from believer to being followers. Right. Well, and we get this in this chapter uh, six of Unconverted Places. We get this story from John about C.S. Lewis. And when his secretary, who was a, 
guy by the name of Walter Hooper in describing C.S. Lewis said that he was the most thoroughly converted man I ever met. If even an ounce of that could be said about me one day, I would be so pleased. But for somebody who worked so closely with him, he got to see him on his good days and his bad days. You know, he got to take his good calls and his bad calls. He really was able to see him in a very personal way. And he even said he was thoroughly converted in every way. And I, that in and of itself is so amazing. And, you know, it, it should challenge us to be like that. You know, of course, we are all striving to be like Christ. We want to be Christ-like. We are his image bearers and we should be striving to be like him. But we often at times see that as such a high mark that it's impossible, even though we should always be striving. But even to just strive to this place where it's just like, can we just at least be known that we are some of the most thoroughly converted people? Mm. You know, because I always have heard if your uh, heart was like a house, which rooms are you letting Christ into? That you might clean up the areas. We have our men's Bible study and my kids are always like, do we have to clean the whole house? And I'm just like, the areas that they will be able to see, let's just get those, all right? Because if you walk into some of the back rooms, it might not be as clean as the front rooms you get to walk into. And, you know, I kind of feel like this, oftentimes we do this with uh, God, with our relationship with him. It is, God, here is our kitchen and in here is our living room, but these back rooms are off limits. You know, and as he's going through the house and and filling it with his presence and he's asking us, well, what's behind this locked door? In a lot of ways, we are not wanting him to see what's behind that. Mm. But yet, what would happen if we truly allowed Christ into those areas that are locked off, they are blocked off to to his presence and to, you know, just his love Mm -hmm. that he could truly come in and convert those areas? And what glory would that then bring to him? I love, you know, what John brings out. He said, you know, parts of you seem very well inhabited by Christ, and sometimes the rest of you seems practically pagan. And I'm like, man, I can relate to that sometimes. Right. And he said, how can these parts exist in the same human being? And he said, because we are like stained glass, beautiful even in our brokenness, but made up of many fragments. He said, what we must seek with all of our heart in this hour is the process where God exposes some part of us not yet united to Christ, so that it can be united to Christ. So John says we have to enter that unconverted place, go there, feel it, open it up to the light of the day. And as we open this door from the inside to Christ, we are seeking for this place to be united with Jesus Christ and therefore in his care, able to receive recreation. And that really points to what you were talking about. Like we have these doors that are locked and, you know, we're like, oh, I don't don't even go there. Like I know Jesus knows about it, but nobody else knows about it. I don't want to deal with it. Like I'm not, it's, I'm just going to keep it back here in the back room and what john's saying is no 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 open that door up like go there walk into the room feel it deal with it and by doing that you're opening it up to the light of christ which then allows you to to let him have it and recreate it yeah that's good yeah the idea of salvation is a process i don't think i hear this too often but scripture explains it really well you know the apostle paul said it well in romans 7 you know parts of me love god and parts of me rebel David in Psalms 86, 
verse 11, teach me your ways. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And so for me, the as Brady was saying, you know, really, you know, a, a great question here for me is, you know, Lord, what parts of me are not yet united with Christ? Right. That's good. Yeah, because I think it's a true introspection of who we are and who we are in Christ. Because when we talk about, you can see the uh, the counselor in John coming out because we oftentimes try to bring our people to a place where they will actually feel their feelings. They will actually get into that place where they will kind of confront what's going on because so often we, we don't mind coming and talking about the issues. We don't mind talking about those things with people, but truly getting into a place of vulnerability to really deal with the problem means that we have to confront the problem. And when John says that what we must do to change these unconverted places is we must go there, fill it, and open it to the light. And I think that that's one of those things that is oftentimes so scary for people is to actually go there. Oftentimes when I talk to people about things like grief, I say that we need to go and we need to sit in this grief, not forever, just for a little while. And we need to then start confronting this grief. We need to allow ourselves to actually fill it for a little while. But yet I I feel like we need to be doing this too in these unconverted places. For one, we ask God to reveal these, reveal these places in us of the unconverted places and allowing ourselves to sit there with God is going to be huge in the revelation of what it is that is truly unconverted in our hearts. And then allowing God who's there with us to work through that with us. Mm. And I think that when we talk about these unconverted places, I feel like there's going to be people that are listening, maybe even us here that are thinking about some of those unconverted places that still need to be fully given over to God, Uh, whether it is uh, fear with finances, whether it is a sin that somebody is hiding, whether it is just fear in general. I think fear just kind of just grips us and causes us not to truly convert these places that I would really hope and pray that anybody that is listening to this podcast, after you get done listening to it, that you would choose to go to God in prayer and really ask him to reveal those places that are unconverted and then begin to give it over to God. Well, and even the shame and guilt area, this is another area, you know, when you had talked about before the shame and the guilt, this is an area that you could consider somewhat unconverted you know, go there and take it to Christ and take it to the cross. Because he, he, he bore that on the cross. Like he took all of our shame and guilt. But if we don't allow him to convert that in our lives and, and heal that in us and take it from us, then it will cause us to cycle in certain areas and keep us from God's best. Right. Amen. Well, we once again just want to thank you guys for joining us here on this third episode of our Resilient Series. We just pray that you continue to stay strong and thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you next time as we continue this resilient podcast. I am Brandon. And I am Steve. And I am Brady. And this is a Therapy Geeks podcast. Stay resilient. We will see you next time. Thanks again for listening. For more information on the Therapy Geeks or for more resources to help you or someone you love, please go to our website at www.thetherapygeeks.com or catch us on Facebook or Instagram. And also subscribe to be notified when new podcasts have posted.